Um, I've, I've struggled to like find ways to try to put this amount of time in perspective. Just for that 400 years of silence, uh, I've thought, think about it this way. That's the same amount of time for you as it is from the first Mayflower expedition in 1620. That's a long time. If I asked most of you to rattle off your heritage, most of you maybe could go like three or four generations back, but then it would get real fuzzy. Uh, you definitely wouldn't make it to 1620, right? That's a long time. And if you would have, in 50 BC, let's say, grabbed Jane the Israelite, she would have told you, no, I'm still waiting, and I believe that a Messiah will come. Even though she hadn't heard anything, she was as distant from the last utterance of God as you are to the Mayflower. Isn't that amazing? She believed because she was a part of a historical community, that, a community that was trained to take God at his word. They had become a people of expectant hope. They carried these words with them. So that's number one. God said that Jesus would come. Number two, Jesus came. Jesus came. After 400 years of silence, the first utterance of God, the first blip on the radar was to a guy named Zechariah, who was a priest in Israel. This would have been about 1 BC. Would have loved to have been alive at that, in that year, the year one. Uh, so Zechariah, this is how the, the book of Luke begins, if you're familiar with it. And I am fascinated by the story of Zechariah. So Zechariah is not special. He's not a prophet. He's one of the 18,000 priests in Israel. So he's just kind of a normal guy doing his job. Um, again, it's been a long time since anything happened. They're under Roman occupation now. He's just a dude, okay? And twice a year, everybody in Israel was called to come into Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And all the priests would come, 18,000 of them. And by lot, they would cast lots. One of the priests would be chosen to do the duty of going inside the temple to offer prayers and incense before God. Now think about this. This would be like, for Zechariah and all the people, just another big Easter service or another holiday. Okay, There literally had been 800 of these things since the last time that God had moved or spoke. And Zechariah was a righteous guy. The, the Bible tells us that. But I don't, was he expecting anything to happen? I don't know. If any of you have ever helped out up front, I experienced this the first time I ever do anything. I mean, he's chosen out of the 18,000 to go offer incense. I imagine he's just like, get the liturgy right, like do the right thing, don't mess up, like don't drop the incense, you know, like be where you're supposed to be at the right time. But then here's how Luke tells his story. So this is from Luke, Luke 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So all Israel is there. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Can you imagine that? It's been, who even knows how many generations? Who even knows what he was expecting? And he walks into the temple and it happens. There's an angel there. The angel tells Zechariah, 
God hasn't been passive. He's heard your prayers. Your wife's pregnant. She's gonna give birth to a son and his name is John. And John's gonna prepare the way for the Lord. And then right after that, another angel appears to Mary. And the angel tells Mary, you're gonna have a son and his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God said that Jesus would come and after generations and thousands and hundreds of years, he came. The Bible says that this happened at just the right time. I love that. No one was expecting it, but God knew. God knew when. And regardless of what you think about Jesus, it is a historical fact that he existed. He really did come. He really did live and die under Pontius Pilate. And he really did pick up the Old Testament and point at it and say, everything in there is about me. I'm that person. That's number two, Jesus came. The people who had waited in darkness saw a light. The people who had lived and died for generations upon generations saw their faith turn to sight. Number three, so far we've got God said that Jesus would come, Jesus came. Number three, Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus said he's coming back. At the end of Jesus' life, right before he would be crucified and rise again, Jesus began to foretell a new thing, a new whisper, a new murmur. And that is that he would ascend into heaven and one day return, just like he left. And this brings us all the way to our gospel reading this morning from Luke 21, which is exactly what you expected to hear on the first Sunday of Advent and Christmas, right? That was a joke. Uh, somebody from our congregation this morning was like, this is a hard passage. I hope you explain what's going on here. So I hope to explain a little bit of what's going on here. Let's read it together. So flip to that page in your bulletin. We're going to start in verse 25. So this is what Jesus said. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waters, waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Or if you're reading the KGV, it would say, because your redemption is nigh. I don't often use the word nigh anymore, but it's appropriate in this context. Uh, Jesus would go on to clearly say this throughout his ministry. I'm going to come back just the way I left. And actually, in the book of Acts, right when Jesus does ascend into heaven and the disciples are watching, an, another angel appears and says, he will return just like you saw him go. Now, why is Jesus returning? Look at verse 28 with me again. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's coming to redeem his people. I love how the book of Hebrews explains this in Hebrews 9. Uh, the Bible always does a better job explaining things than I do, so I'm just going to read it. This is from Hebrews 9. 
says this, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's talking about Jesus coming and dying on a cross and rising again, his first coming. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's his first coming, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So Jesus came first to save us from our sins by his cross and resurrection and offer a way home to the whole world, which is what our church is all about, the community coming home to Jesus and his church. And Hebrews is saying when he comes a second time, he's going to redeem and take home for good all who are eagerly waiting for him. Remember Jesus, we talked about this. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Jesus tells us where I'm going to prepare a place for you. What's also very clear in the Bible and in this passage from the Hebrews, if you heard it, is that a crucial part of his second coming will be judgment. And I know judgment is a really scary word, uh, but hear me out. When the Bible talks about this with Jesus, it's not immediately what I think your heart jumps to when you think of judgment. The Psalms actually see judgment as a reason to rejoice. And I remember reading through the Psalms couple years ago, and that just struck me because I didn't understand it. So you'll find bits in the Psalms where the people are literally praising and worshiping, and they're thrilled because God is coming to judge the world in righteousness and truth. They see it as a reason to get excited. So hear me out. Think of any great tragedy in human history. So think of the Holocaust, or think of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. After the chaos, what do you long for? What do people long for? They long for someone to come and sit down behind a gavel and administer justice, right? I actually saw the Khmer Rouge was what, in the 70s, right? This week, some of the final leaders were convicted of genocide from the Khmer Rouge in Canada. This week, that happened in the 70s. And when it happened, people in Canada and Cambodia were just overwhelmed because they were finally seeing justice be administered. We long for that, for somebody to come who has integrity, who has compassion to administer justice. Jesus's jaw-dropping, hair on the back of your neck standing up claim is that when he comes to return, he will sit down behind a gavel before all of human history and administer justice justice. Do you know that you say you believe this every single week when we say the creed? We say he will come again in glory to what? To judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Amen? Amen. This is the greatest possible message of hope as anyone would know who's been in a context like that and suffered or been oppressed and longed for someone to come and put things to right and administer justice. And Jesus will come to judge the world in righteousness and in truth. And so we rejoice from the smallest things to the biggest things, the living and the dead. And his hands that will pick up the gavel are scarred from injustice themselves. He is worthy to judge because no one else is as beautiful as Jesus, is full of compassion as Jesus, has integrity like Jesus, has suffered like Jesus, and no one else has defeated death 
So we rejoice that at the end of the age, Jesus is the one who comes. Amen? Amen. Now, if you're thinking, well, I have sinned. I'm not perfect. I actually am complicit in a lot of things in this world. I can't stand in that judgment. There's a bit of that that doesn't sound exciting to me. Then I think you're actually thinking the right thing and you're on the right track. And if you're really thinking that, it's my joy to get to proclaim to you the good news, the gospel of Jesus, which is that he came first, what did Hebrews say? To bear the sins of many. He came for the first times to be the sacrifice so that you could be forgiven. So no matter what you've done, by trusting in Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection, you can have confidence to stand in the judgment. So believe in him and what he did in his first coming, that you might be saved. And I would encourage you to not to, if, if you're in that situation, don't leave here today without addressing that. That is why he came. That is why, in a lot of ways, we're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to talk a lot about that. So Jesus said he's coming back, and ever since he uttered the words, there's been a community of people who have carried those words with them from generation to generation, and it has changed them, and it has formed them into a different type of community. There's been a people, the church, who have stewarded these promises of Jesus. It's sunk into our bones. It's changed the way that we think. It's made us a people of faith, a people of expectant hope. We know wrongs will be righted. We know Jesus is coming again to judge the world in righteousness and in truth. It's been 2,000 years. Uh, the scope of ancient Israel is about the same in some ways, but it's been a long time. Uh, Rome was the big thing back in the day when all this happened, and it is not anymore, right? All the ancient kingdoms have fallen. Nobody believes uh, or reads their sacred writings anymore. And yet here we are, still reading what Jesus promised. And just like with Israel, it doesn't mean it's always been easy to believe. There have been, as there were in Ezekiel's day, naysayers. People who are like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> like literally what you're saying is crazy talk. You're so foolish. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw on Bascom Hill, uh, when was this, like a month ago, there was a graveyard to dead gods. Did anybody see this? Uh, there was a graveyard of all the different religions in the world stacked up on like rest in peace signs, how nobody believes in them anymore. And Jesus had to have been one of them. Did you see? Was he there? But it was just begging. I was like, oh man, what an amazing testimony. There's like this graveyard of dead gods. But what we're saying is Jesus is alive and he's coming back because he's not in the grave. Right? right? Here we are. We're still reading it. We're still thinking about it. And I think nothing gets this tension of maybe doubting it and it being hard to believe sometime and there being such a long time than Second Peter 3. And so I'm just going to read a, a big chunk of this. Peter is writing to a church to encourage them on this very point, this idea of it being long and people scoffing at them and all these things. So here's 2 Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, 
that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. And they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What does that sound like? Ezekiel, the days grow long. The vision comes to nothing. Y'all are stupid. (laughs) But he goes on. But do not overlook this one fact. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I love that. God's not slow, he's patient. That's a huge distinction. And his patience is because he wants everybody to have a chance to be drawn to his cross. He goes on. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God said Jesus would come. Jesus came. Jesus said He's coming back. And with those three points and the witness of God's word and the testimony of history, I boldly proclaim to you the fourth point, which is this. Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again. In righteousness and truth, to judge the living and the dead, to make all things new, to wipe away every tear from the eye. All God's words have proven true, and so we have confidence to trust Jesus's in this one. Look at uh, Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And it's been 2,000 years, and they haven't. Rome's gone. Babylon is gone. No one is still reading the ancient Babylonian texts and actually believing them that I know of. Jesse, are they? People like Jesse are translating them, and they're very helpful. Um, One day America will be no more. The world will be rolled up, but Jesus' words will not pass away. I was asked a question about this this morning, so I do want to address it. Right before in Luke 21, 33, it says that this generation will not pass away until all these things come come to pass. And in this full chapter in Luke 21, Jesus is talking about two things. On the one hand, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which would have happened in AD 70. Um, This is kind of a geeky aside, but I think it's important. And he's talking about his second coming. And that's actually really common. So all throughout the Bible, you have people speaking about things that are imminent, which also have eternal kind of consequences as well. And so this even confirms Jesus's word because this generation would have been about a generation until uh, Jerusalem was sieged in AD 70. It happened. So it's even another reason to have confidence of what he's talking about when he returns. Okay, I used to live in England and uh, I had some of my best friends in England weren't, weren't Christians and I loved them dearly. We played music together. I was in a band and Uh, They were terrified of me because I was the trifecta of fear for them, which was an American, a Christian, and a Southerner. And if you talk to an English person, their greatest stereotypes are all those three things, but put together, I was just like, 
That's like only what they had seen on the BBC. They thought like I was just a freak, okay? But we played music together and they respected me musically and so they like put up with me. But one night after one of my good friends had had enough pints to actually get the courage to ask me about my faith, he started being like, okay, dude, I just gotta get this straight. You believe in God? I was like, yeah. He's just like, you know, mate. He's like, you believe that Jesus was God? It's like, yes. And where is he? I was like, I believe he's alive. I believe that like he's in his glorified body, resurrected from the dead, sitting at the right hand of God. And he's just like, you're insane. And then I said, and I believe he's coming back. And at that, he was like, that's it. Like, I'm done. You're literally like, this is out of science fiction. Like this could be in a fantasy novel that I read. And I get it, it sounds crazy, right? But not so crazy if you take everything we've talked about so far, amen? Amen. Not so crazy. Jesus will come again. Okay, I know this is exactly what you expected. This is is the the Christmas sermon that you've always heard, right? Um, The end of the world, Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead and all this stuff. You're like, what happened to the cattle lowing and the the shepherds, you know, keeping watch by night and everything? So why are we beginning Advent by talking about this? Um, On the one hand, uh, I think this is much more worth your time and much more compelling and interesting, regardless of how you're grappling with it, than if I just gave a normal watered-down Christmas TED Talk sermon which I hope you agree with as well. I, I, this, is, this is deeply important stuff we're talking about. Um, but also, this isn't my idea, so I didn't pick to preach on this. Throughout Christian history, for a long time, people start Advent, which is the beginning of a church calendar that goes all year with this passage or another passage where Jesus talks about his second coming. You begin by being reminded that Jesus is coming again. So we have what's called a lectionary, uh, which is something that churches around the world, even ones that aren't in our denomination, follow. And everybody right now is reading this passage. It's pretty cool to think. There's tons of other rooms around the world who are hearing Jesus' words saying, I'm coming again. We get the word advent from a Latin word, which means coming. I think it's like adventicus or something like that. Yeah. Thank you. So that's where we get this word Advent. It means coming. And Christians have long understood that the purpose of this season, what we're entering into together, leading up to Christmas, to be about rejoicing in Jesus' first coming, his incarnation, and preparing our hearts and having faith in his second coming. So we savor and we remember the salvation and joy of Christmas, of how humble and beautiful and unexpected it was, and it feeds our confidence and our expectation and our hope for his second. So this is the season where we're reminded that we are a people who live in the in-between of the two advents of Jesus. And it's the season where we take Jesus' charge at the end of this passage really seriously. Go back to your gospel reading one last time. I think one last time. 34. This is how Jesus concludes all this. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life that one day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. 
but stay awake at all times. So I want us to enter into Advent. I want us to begin this season meditating on these four points. I want our community to let these four truths sink into us and into our bones until they change us. God said Jesus would come. Jesus came. Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus will come again. So maybe at breakfast or bedtime, your lunch break, whatever, just meditate on those four truths. Just try and wrap your mind around that. Let that just do something to you. Let it change you. And as I've been praying about these things, I think most of us will engage with those four truths in two ways. And they're both for these things. I think on one hand, you have the slumbering and the downtrodden are my kind of two categories. And maybe you're slumbering and downtrodden. Okay, that could be possible as well. Uh, but, but hear me out. First, the slumbering. I think many of us might resonate with Jesus' claim of like, stay awake. Watch yourself where you're just kind of like forgetting these things and uh, overwhelmed by the cares of this life. And this is nowhere in your mind. It's nowhere on your radar. Um, Jesus' great challenge throughout the Gospels is always to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. So he tells parables about, if you know, he tells this story about these 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom who have to keep a, an oil lamp lit. And some of them fall asleep and forget and some of them keep it lit. He talks about how people all throughout history were just kind of like eating and drinking and being merry and whatever and they completely forgot and then the day of the Lord would come. If that's you, do not feel shame, okay? None of Jesus' friends and his disciples stayed awake in his final hour, uh, so you're not alone. This is all of us, and we don't do this and read this and remember this because we're all perfect. The reason we all do this and why Jesus said it is so that we can remember because we all forget, okay? So I'm not gonna pour any shame on you for that. That's just life, and hey, that's why we have this season. That's what Advent is for. This is the season where you remember, oh, Jesus came. He really did, and he's really coming back. You've heard me talk about liturgy and uh, why we do the things we do, because it puts us in the way of Jesus. I hope that it's this season, as we start on this journey, that you guys will start to experience this as a community, that we'll start to experience, oh my gosh, this is happening. How many of you woke up this morning and thought in the shower, wow, like, I'm thinking about the whole history of Israel and of world history, and Jesus is really coming again, and I should stay awake. My hunch is you probably didn't. I was preaching on this sermon, and I didn't think that in the shower this morning. That's why we do this. So you just hop on board, and we're, we're brought through this every single year so we don't forget. So if that's you, if you've never heard this before, or if you're, you feel like you're slumbering and you're weighed down, Straighten up your heads and hear this. God said Jesus would come. Jesus came. Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus will come again. Let this word be the most beautiful, gentle splash of cold water in your face. The second group, the downtrodden, okay? Um, Maybe this is you if you're just exhausted. You're like, I've been trying to keep my lamp lit and I've been trying to cling to hope and do everything right, but I'm exhausted and life is just beating the fool out of me right now. So it could be anything. You could be at home suffering from financial stress or relational stress. You might be really struggling in your faith. 
even though you're trying to do everything right, but you can't figure it out. You might be tempted to despair that evil will win in your life, that there's some issue that there's no hope in, that it's all gonna end. You might identify with Isaiah when he says the people walked in darkness. And Isaiah, it says they were groping along the wall. It's like trying to find a light switch. If that's you, do not feel shame. Jesus knows what that's like. He came as a light. And that too is what Advent is all about. Remembering that Jesus is the light in the darkness, that he came and he's coming again. We're gonna sing Come Now Long Expected Jesus. And it's a beautiful song, but here's two lines from it. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the world thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Jesus' first and his second coming are meant to be the joy of your longing heart. Evil will not win. Things don't end in darkness. There is hope because Jesus is alive and he's coming back. Amen? If that's you, then take heed. Get ready for the season because we're just gonna grow into this word of hope and in this eager expectation. Raise your head and hear this. God said that Jesus would come and he came. Jesus said he will come again. He's coming back. So we have confidence to know Jesus will come again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.